Father, I thank you for the great blessings you poured out on us. Lord, as we have lifted up your name and praise today, and as we have sung songs of even confession today, Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us for taking blessings that you intended for us to have freedom to do what you want. And we've turned them into blessings to do what we want. Would you open our hearts and minds to your word today in a way that helps us be more and more obedient to you? In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Independence Day, it was designed and titled for us to remember the great sacrifices that others have made for us to have the freedom that we have today. It also is to remind us of the sacrifice that must take place for each following generation to enjoy that same type of freedom and to be blessed with that same freedom. No matter what season you find ourselves in, there is always influences and pressures that threaten that type of freedom. We've just had some of our very own come back from countries on a mission uh, trip where they saw the countries that didn't have the same type of freedom to worship the Lord. And it, it opens our eyes to see that we must not be forgetful of passing on from one generation to the next the importance of having freedom, not to do what we want, but freedom to do what God Almighty William Burke put it this way, the only certainty for evil to win in the world is for good men to do nothing. We could stand back and just say, well, that, that was kind of an old-fashioned thing, and that's, that's good to, to have that, but, but I don't know if we need that anymore. We could take that attitude and it wouldn't be too long before evil would prevail and there would not be the freedom to do what it is that God wants. We can't rest on the laurels of our past our past achievements, our past experiences, our past sacrifices. We must rise to the challenge of today. We must stand for what is right and become active and participants in God's campaign, not our campaign, God's campaign to win a lost world to himself. See, what's true for a nation is also true for a church. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to be in Europe, and we got to see many of the great cathedrals across Europe. I mean majestic buildings that just made you think of, of, of how small you are and how big this building is, and, and hopefully to put ourselves in perspective of how big God is and how small we are. But yet what used to be packed with the a passionate prophetic voice of God proclaiming truth had turned into just memorials of the past. Reflections of good art and tourists coming in to see some things. And, and But where was the vibrant worshipers in that gathering? You see, it's easy to take things that God has blessed us with, to have moments of high water marks and let them be things we look back to but never see what God is doing right here and now. I thank God that Grace Point Church of the Nazarene is not a church that's a memorial. It's not just some cold stone thing that was the yesterday of what God had done a long time ago, but is no longer doing anything else fresh and new here. You see, God has given us a mission, and it is the dawn, it is the morning of that mission for us. At Grace Point, we are to make Christ-like disciples across the street, across town, and around the world, fulfilling the Great Commission over here and the spirit of the Great Commandments over here. As we love God and love others, we can make disciples. And as you think of morning or dawn, the sun does not set in the morning. 
And so God wants to continue to pour out his power and presence for us to follow his current fresh new word. But if we only look back to the past, we can allow it to be some kind of memorial that is of what used to be that is no longer here today. As I stood in these cathedrals and I waited long lines and paid money to go see these things, I thought, what would we do here at Grace Point if we had thousands of people just coming in to see this place? I don't know that I'd charge them money, but I think I'd want to give them something. I'd want to give them the gospel. I'd want to give them something that would point to Jesus. And it became so easy for me to throw stones at these faith traditions of these cathedrals in Europe. And I felt the Holy Spirit check me and say, Brady, let's examine what took place. On these tours that you went to, they talked about Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't talk about Jesus, but they added all these other things to it. And I felt the Lord bring conviction on my heart. Brady, what is it that you add to my mission that may not be exactly what I have called you to do? We could... Throw stones at everybody else and say, look how far you've gone, look how far you've gone. But, but I think the Lord maybe wants to start with us. Just like we've, many of us, grown up hearing that this is the church, this is the steeple. Remember, you open the doors and then what's, what's in you? All the people. If you haven't heard that, then I, I can teach you a new song. <laughs> a, a nation, a land, is its people. A church is its people. And as we look at this Second Chronicles passage, we've already heard it this morning. I want you to take your Bible and, and turn with me to Second Chronicles 7.14. If you don't have a Bible, navigate your device to Second Chronicles 7.14. If you'd like to take notes this morning, that's in the front of your bulletin, bulletin today. It's not a separate sheet. You know the rule by now. If that doesn't help you learn to take notes, just hit the person next to you and say, I'm too cool to take notes. You take them for me. Whatever helps you learn, whatever helps you take in God's Word. But as, as I begin to look at Second Chronicles 7 together this morning, let's look at the context of this together. The context we find is this is a momentous time in Israel's history. The temple now stands complete in Jerusalem. It's a physical reminder of God's presence, His faithfulness throughout the past. It served as a constant memorial to the victories and sacrifices of God's chosen people down through the years. Now, Israel, she is reaping the fruit of those sacrifices. These are great days for her. There is blessing. The people are united. And there is peace in the land. But it would be very easy for God's people to begin to rest on their laurels. It would be very easy for God's people to get lazy. It would be very easy for God's people to just drift and to rest on past achievements. That's why we find these words here in 2 Chronicles 7.14. They were so important for Israel. They were first for them, but in turn, God has a message for us out of this as well. It was important to them to hold to the one who gave them the blessing. You read silently as I read aloud 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. In other words, God is saying there comes a time in your life, it will happen, where you'll be tempted to drift. You'll be tempted to compromise. You'll be tempted to allow some grass to grow under your feet in what I have been doing. And if you would just humble yourself, if you would just 
call on me, if you would just pray, if you would just repent, I will bring you back to the center of my will. I'll bring you back to the center of my blessing I've given to you. See, God is reaffirming his covenant with his people, children of Israel. It's it's a very important covenant. It's a very important promise. It's one that is rooted in God's absolute love for his people. Covenant is an important thing to the Lord. God gives us a marriage covenant. God gives us the covenant of his promises and his blessing. In Genesis 9, we find this covenant with Noah. Genesis 9, we read this, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God's covenant to Noah. Genesis 15, we find God's covenant with Abraham. To your descendants, I give this land. Now, note often when there is a covenant, when there is that relationship with God, there's a name change. Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Here in 2 Chronicles 7, look at that verse. My people who are called by my name. Their very name, their handle, their identity was rooted in who God was. That's part of his covenant, that covenant relationship. In Exodus 19, we find this covenant with Israel. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. And of course, this new covenant established by Jesus, we read of it in Hebrews 7.22. Jesus is this guarantee of a new and better covenant for us. Here in this well-known verse in 2 Chronicles 7, we've read it together this morning, we've sung about it this morning. It's this covenant where God reaffirms his love with his people. Now, there's a condition in this covenant. His love and his grace, they're unconditional. But if you want the blessings that God gives in this covenant, he gives these conditions. Can you see it in the text? If my people, then I will. In this relationship, he's saying, if you would follow these things, then I will be able to bless you this way. It's an unconditional love, but the promise, he's saying, you need to follow this to receive this blessing that I have for you. If you find yourself just living in the memory of a past relationship with God, rather than an up-to-date relationship with God, you can miss out on this. See, God is promising them, if you continue to be in my spirit, if you continue to be with me, if you continue to be obedient, I will continue to bless you. Things were going well. They had the blessing of God, but they got forgetful. They would would get relaxed. They would just begin to do what was right in their eyes. And just like for us today, freedom could be used in something other than to do what he wants. It could be used to do what we want. And so God begins to give them the conditions of this. Let's look at our responsibility tied to this text. First, for the children of Israel, but there's also application for us. The responsibility of the children of Israel is also the responsibility that we have as well. If my people humble themselves. To humble yourself doesn't mean that you just beat up yourself emotionally. It doesn't mean that you have a low self-esteem. To humble yourself doesn't mean you think horrible of yourself. No, to humble yourself means that you see yourself in light of God. You see yourself the way that God sees you. You see how big he is, and you see how small you are in the correct proportions. See, humility 
is admitting my utter dependence upon God. Someone who is humble is not one who never ever says anything good about themselves. Someone who is humble who says, hey, as soon as God takes his hand off me, I'm done. True biblical humility is utter and complete dependence upon God. That's what humility is. What does it take to humble you? Do you really acknowledge your need for God in your life? Is there anything in your life that you are attempting right now that if God would take his hand off you, it would fail? Or pretty much everything that you set your hand to, you could do in your own strength. Do you have any need for God? Do you have any realization that you are totally dependent upon him? The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, how do you know if you need to humble yourself? Well, here's a little test. I'm glad you asked. If, if you start by thinking about yourself, or do you start by thinking about things about God? Do you find yourself starting your day thinking about what you want? Do you find yourself starting your day thinking about what God wants? See, those who are prideful, they think through the lens of everything in life about what they deserve, what they want, what they need. It's all about them. Those who are humble think through the lens of what is it that God desires. They think through the lens of other people. They're others-centered. Humble people are consumed with the thoughts of God and of others. My responsibility, if my people humble themselves and pray. See, once we realize our utter dependence upon God, then prayer will take on a new urgency and a new value. I'm convinced that trying to force God's people to pray will never, ever work. You will have no desire to pray if you have no need for God. If, if you can do it on your own, then the idea of prayer is a waste of time. But if you so readily humble yourself and you know that I am so dependent on God, then prayer becomes more than something you do before you eat. It's more than just something that happens at church, some phrases that are said. It becomes this communication way with God. I want to know what God thinks. I want to know what he wants for me. Ultimately, prayer is an enjoying this intimate relationship with God. That's the blank there if you're taking notes. It's enjoying this intimate relationship with God. It's this implying of he speaks, I talk to him, but it's with the goal of knowing what God has for me. Until I humble myself, prayer will have not any real priority in my life. You see... In this humble prayer, I don't dare do anything without saying, God, what do you think about this? For example, we don't start any ministry here at Grace Point without bathing it in prayer. We wouldn't dare start a ministry without bathing it in prayer because, you see, we don't want our ministry to extend beyond our prayer coverage. And that's not just true for a church. It's true for me. It's true for you. Your ministry, your work, your purpose, what you set your hand to, don't let that exceed your relationship base with God. Your ministry for God, your purpose, your activity, your work for God must never outpace your relationship with God. So I ask you this morning, how is your prayer life today? As you look at this summer, are you just hoping that God would, would be merciful and mindful that you're very busy and you've got a lot of things planned and it's just a different season? Or are you running to him dependent, saying, 
Father God, what is it that you have for me today? If my people will humble themselves and pray. And then we see here, seek my face. Look at the text with me. Don't take my word for it. You look at, look at it. You look in your Bible. You look on your device. If my people would humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Are you seeking God's face or are you seeking his hand? You see, worship, it's not what I come and I give to God expecting what he gives back to me. God, I'm going to give you $500 in worship. You give me $500 in blessing. Oh, this was a great exchange. Thank you, God. Good sight. No, worship is, is when I give myself to God, I expect nothing. God owes me nothing. Worship is a life focused on God. When I recognize that God doesn't owe me anything, everything that I have is a result of his blessing to me. It changes how I seek his face. You see, as long as I am seeking his hand, what he does for me, what he has blessed me with, I will never discover the joy of seeking his face. See, I'm afraid that sometimes in this passage of Scripture, it's a very popular passage of Scripture. We jump all the way to the end. Heal our land, God! But sometimes, I think what we really mean is, get the land back to what I want. Give me America so I can do what I want to do with it. People will agree with me, look like me, talk like me, and love ham and green olive pizza. That's the only pizza you should eat. It's my opinion. I feel that. You have the right to be wrong. You can eat other stuff too. But could it be that God is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I want you to cry out, not for you to want me to do your agenda, but to do God's agenda. Lord, would you heal our land for your benefit? But it starts with humbling ourselves. His way is better than my way. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And, and I can't really pray and talk with him until I understand who he is and who I am not. And then when I begin to humble myself and pray, and as I seek his face, God, I want you more than your blessing. Some of us, we're so tempted to chase the gift of God, the blessing of God, that we miss the very giver of the gift. We miss the very God himself. And the challenge here, as long as I'm seeking his hand, seeking what he will do, seeking his blessing, I will miss the joy on discovering his face. Finally, Turn from your wicked ways. I don't think it's an accident that this is listed last. I believe because we don't really know how wicked our ways are until we have been humbled, until we pray, until we seek his face. Then we begin to see how our plan is so different from God's plan. This turning towards God or turning from wicked way, it really is rooted in this concept of repentance. Repentance means I'm going to turn my back on sin and turn towards God. Turning away from sin and turning towards God. It doesn't just mean that I'm sorry for my sin. It doesn't mean I'm just sad that I got caught in my sin. It means that with God's help, I want to live in obedience to Him for the rest of my life. I'll never forget what I heard at a men's conference a number of years ago. The speaker at that men's conference said, God will only deliver you from your enemies. It was a conference on purity. It was a conference on, on being pure before God. It was very similar to the, the video blurb we saw at the beginning of our service today. And the, the heart of the speaker was saying, God is only going to deliver me from what I've turned my back on. 
If I view sin as my companion, if I view disobedience as just part of what I do, that's just, you know what? God and I have this great thing going. He loves forgiving. I love sinning. It's so good. We're a match made in heaven. I just love to sin, sin, sin. God loves to forgive, forgive, forgive. We're a great match. Paul says in Romans 6, well, then, should I go on sinning? He says, by no means, no. I've died to Christ. I have freedom in Christ. Freedom from the law, yes. Good. Freedom to do whatever I want? No. Freedom to do what it is he wants. You begin to catch it. Our responsibility as we turn from our wicked ways, it's rooted in what he says about our heart. Well, that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. See, we can view this verse as a cosmic vending machine. I'm going to do this, God, and you give me what I want. But if we look at the steps of this, humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, turning from our wicked ways, it's getting me in the place to want what God wants. Here's God's covenant promise. Here's his responsibility. Then when you're at that place, I will hear from heaven. The Lord will hear you. You're not just praying to the lights, to the walls. Your almighty living God will hear you. And when he hears you, you're not twisting his arm. You're not lobbying him to get on your agenda. You've already walked through these things. You've humbled yourself. You have prayed. You have sought his face. You have turned from your wicked ways. He hears you and he gives you guidance. This simply means that you'll have guidance for your confusion. He hears you and he will speak and give you guidance. I was reminded this week in the men's study, if you haven't checked out the Conquer series, it's awesome. I was reminded this week that the teacher shared, if you want a prayer that God always answers every time, every time, every time, pray this prayer. God, what do you want to change in me? He'll hear it. He'll respond. When we humble ourselves, when we pray, when we seek his face, when we repent, we turn from our wicked ways, he will hear us, he will give us guidance, do this, follow this, it will bless you. You see, after that he says, I will forgive their sins. As you repent from your sins, you will discover his freedom from your guilt. There's a big difference between guilt and freedom. Guilt, if it's true guilt, it's, it's what we feel for us doing wrong. We can have false guilt from the enemy, but, but guilt can be from the Lord. The Holy Spirit can convict us. We are guilty of sin at times, and we can have freedom from our guilt. But shame is always from Satan. Guilt is something that I have done wrong. Shame is I am wrong. I am totally hopeless. But with God, shame is shut out. It's cast out. This is his promise. I will bring forgiveness of sin. And then finally, I'll heal their land. I just want to pause right here for a second. Remember, it's first to the children of Israel, then it's to us. What was their land? We need to be careful. This isn't saying that if I do this, then God makes America number one at the Olympics. I like that we're number one at the Olympics. I'm competitive. I like to compete. I like to win. If there's no chance for me to win, then I'll let someone else play the game. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with being competitive, but, but, but let's just be careful. This isn't saying if we, we do these things and God gives us gold medals at the Olympics all the time. No, no, no. I'll heal their land. For the children of Israel, it was their land. It was the gift that God had given them. 
It was a gift that God had given to them that they had perverted and used for their own things. And so I think a good biblical application for us this morning is, God, if we ask for America back, we don't want it back for our own things. We don't want it back for our own agenda, for our own power. But could we take the gift that you originally gave to us for freedom to worship you? Could we turn around and use it to serve you? Could we have ultimate freedom to do what you want? Could it be? That there's a watching world around us waiting for us to begin to live in this biblical Christian freedom, doing what God wants, that could be attractive and let others hunger and thirst for it. See, whatever consequence, whatever trial you are facing, you can count on God's restoration in your brokenness back to his plan. Now, if you think I'm going to do these things and I'm going to have God give me what I wanted to begin with, then you're missing it. Then we didn't really humble ourselves. We didn't really pray. We didn't really seek his face. We didn't really repent from sin. But when we walk through those things, we say, God, get me in a place to want what you want. Right? This is kind of a weird message. Isn't this 4th of July? Isn't this supposed to be something else? Hey, I tried to tell you at the beginning. We have all kinds of ideas. I think about 4th of July. Remember fireworks, hot dogs, hamburgers, fireflies, ketchup, that's good. But the crux of all this is freedom to do what God wants. In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to participate in the greatest memorial of remembrance there ever is. Jesus commanded himself, do this in remembrance of me. And as we receive communion together, you don't have to be a member here at Grace Point. Or a member of any church for that matter. But we believe the Bible is clear. This is for those who believe on Jesus Christ with their life. And as we begin to move in that direction and worship together today, I... I want to ask you a couple questions. If you're here today and you've never had that kind of relationship with Jesus where you want what he wants over what you want, then regardless of what our culture tells us, you haven't really stepped into biblical Christianity. And I want to give you an opportunity to enter into that today. If you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, to be in charge of your life, there's no better day than today. God who is merciful, gracious says, hey if you humble yourself if you pray, if you seek me, not just what I can do for you if you repent of the disobedience in your life I'll hear you I'll give you instruction I'll forgive your sin and I will bring restoration back to the gift that I had given to you I will give you my best life possible Jesus So if that's you today, as we all bow our heads and pray, I invite you in your mind to pray after me. Now, it's not super important that you get all these words right, but it's very important that this is your heart. You don't have to pray out loud. You can if you want to. You don't have to. But as I pray out loud, I encourage you, let this become your prayer in your heart. God, I recognize that there's things that I have said and done wrong. And I know that those things are sin. And they separate me from you. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin today. I'm not just sorry that I got caught. I'm not just sorry that I'm in a jam. But with your help, God, I want to live the rest of my life 
pray that prayer with me. Romans 10.9 is for you. Anyone who confesses with their mouth, believes in their heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead, they will be saved. All of heaven is exploding in celebration for another son and daughter coming home. I got to pray with two friends this week. First time ever, just like this, they accepted Jesus. That's what prepares us for this. But I also believe that there's some of us here today, you say, Brady, I know Jesus. I, I love him. I've lived for him. But, but if I'm honest... I may be like the children of Israel. Things are going pretty good. There's peace in the land. Temples rebuilt. We have all these great things, but I could drift from him. I I don't know how humble I find myself. I I don't know how much I find myself in prayer with him. I don't know if if I'm really seeking his face. I love what he does for me. I I don't know if there's any confession in my heart. I want to encourage you to pray this with me as we prepare to do this most important memorial of remembrance. The ultimate freedom. If you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, I invite you to pray in your mind after me. Jesus, I love you and I have lived for you. But I've begun to add other things to the priority list. And some of them are starting to become as important to me as you are. So Lord, I confess my dependence on you today. I recognize without you, I am nothing. So I give you my life again. Thank you, Jesus, for your saving work in my life. Amen and amen. As our servers come forward, in just a moment, we're going to partake of the elements. As I said, you don't have to be a member here at Grace Point, but just a believer in Jesus. In just a moment, as the ushers distribute the juice and the cup and the bread, if you'll just hang on to them, we'll partake of them together. But let's prayerfully focus in on Jesus. Let's begin to humble ourselves. Seek his face, pray, repent, and begin to allow him to bring blessing to us.